Hi folks, a quick announcement before the show today. First up, events. We've got three events coming up and they're all in person. I think I said earlier in the year that this was going to be the year of the face-to-face catch-up and it certainly seems to be going that way. So, Thursday the 13th of June. This is for you Brisbane friends. So the Brisbane Take On Board Meetup will be on Thursday the 13th of June. An informal gathering of listeners, program alumni, friends and connections. It's a free event, so come along. Next up, the 18th of July, this is for our Warnable and Great South Coast Take On Board Friends, an event run in conjunction with Leadership Great South Coast and Bernadette Northeast. Governance, from fundamentals to advanced practice. Super early bird tickets for this event close on the 10th of June, so get on it. Then the third event, a bit further down the track, the 22nd of August. This is for our Sydney friends, a Take On Board meetup in Sydney. Details of all of these events are on my website. There's a link to that in the show notes and I would love to see you at one or all of them. Okay, that's it for today. Now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'll be speaking with Michelle Gibbings about what it takes to exercise influence inside the boardroom and outside the boardroom. Michelle is a change leadership and career expert, and she's the author of Step Up, How to Build Your Influence at Work, and Career Leap, How to Reinvent and Liberate Your Career. Michelle is obsessed with unlocking high-impact choices to accelerate meaningful progress, and she's enabling a new breed of leader, one that's fit for the future of work. As a highly sought-after speaker and facilitator, Michelle works with leading-edge organisations to optimise outcomes by building the capability, capacity and conviction of their leaders to lead. She works with some of Australia's most respected organisations, including ANZ, Coles, Orica, John Holland, ME Bank and Telstra, along with government departments and agencies. She's a graduate of the Australian Institute of Company Directors, an alumnus of Leadership Victoria's Williamson Community Leadership Program, and she regularly appears and writes for major national publications and media outlets. Particularly relevant for us, Michelle is a director of the Arts Law Centre and a former non-executive director and company secretary at Red Stitch Actors Theatre and 3MBS FM. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Michelle. Hello, Helia. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, I'm super pleased to have you and you've literally written the book about influence. So it is always a topic for people when I'm running my group programs around influence. So can't wait to have the conversation. But before we do that, I'd love to learn a bit more about you. So tell me, what was young Michelle like? 
Oh, what was young Michelle like? I was one of those children who was always curious. It was the, why? Why this? Why are we doing that? Where are we going? So I have, you know, I think throughout my life had this insatiable curiosity and love of learning. And that was certainly prevalent when I was a child. I was a very happy kid. I think I had a very blessed childhood. It was a fairly low stress, easy type of childhood. I was the youngest of four. I grew up in Brisbane. And I think when you're the youngest, it's always about trying to catch up to everybody else. And so you learn a lot from the people around you. So yeah, look, I look back at my child and think, I just had, I had fun. I was really, yeah, it was great. (laughs) And knowing what you do now, I know you're still having fun (laughs) in everything you do. So with the governance role that you've got, when did you get your first inkling that you might end up in some sort of governance role? Oh, I worked in financial services and one of my roles in financial services, I sort of found myself one day working in risk and compliance and loved it, absolutely loved it, much to the, not horror, but surprise of people around me. And there is a really strong connection between compliance and risk and governance because in some respects, it's sort of all of the same genre. And then I was looking for that, you know, I want to do something where I feel like I'm giving back to the community. And so I got connected with an organisation at that time that did matching between people who worked in corporate roles and not-for-profits who needed support. And I did some volunteer work for them and that then led into my first board role. So it was almost not deliberate, whereas I find often these days I meet people who go, I want to be on a board. And I don't feel like I ever thought I want to be on a board. It just organically happened. And then I found I learned a lot in that environment. But at the same time, I had a lot to contribute as well. And so there was this lovely meeting of the minds. Which one was your first board role? So my first board role was 3MBS, which mm-hmm. is a community radio station, classical base station. I'm still a member of 3MBS and I've always kept my membership up because I have this thing in the back of my head, maybe when I get older, because I do a lot of voluntary work in terms of the announcers, love the idea of at some stage going back and becoming a radio announcer. <laughs> Well, from this side of the table, the microphone certainly becomes you, so (laughs) maybe you could. (laughs) And so you're currently on the board of the Arts Law Centre Australia. Tell us about that organisation. Amazing work. And I think that's a really critical thing as a director, that you are on a board where you really feel a connection with the work that the organisation does. And they provide low cost or pro bono legal advice, legal services to artists. And they do a lot of work in Indigenous communities. And in the Indigenous communities, it's working with the artists to make sure that they've got probate wills sorted. Because what happens is often the Indigenous artists, when they die, if they don't have a will, the money goes to the government. And so they want to make sure that the money stays in the family or stays in the community. And they also get involved in the lobbying side of things. So for example, there's been a lot of work done recently around the fake arts campaign, because there's a lot of issues in the Indigenous communities about either fake art that is not actually of Indigenous heritage. And And also 
people getting ripped off, so copyright and people not understanding that with the artist, if you know, you might buy the painting, but the copyright for the art still belongs to the artists. Yeah, I can see why you would be involved in that organisation, what important work that they do and how incredibly interesting all the time. Oh, absolutely. Because every time we have a board meeting, the CEO will share stories about work the organisation has done that helps an artist protect their work. And so we will have Um, you know, musicians who'll come to us because they've written a piece of music and they may be approached by someone because they, someone wants to use that piece of music in an ad and the artists won't necessarily understand what their rights are. And so they need people to work with to be able to get the right advice so that they can then protect their work, but also make money from it. Because at the end of the day, you know, we see a lot about artists who make a lot of money, but the average artist doesn't make a lot of money. And yet art and culture is intrinsic to a healthy functioning society. You said every board meeting you hear about some of those stories. Is that a deliberate and conscious part of your board agenda? Or is it peripheral to some of the things that you hear on the agenda? I'm I'm asking because I'm on the board of the Royal Women's Hospital and we consciously and deliberately, every board meeting will have a patient story so that we for the exact reason you're outlining, are in touch with the work that we do. So I'm wondering what happens with yours. And also when you think about it, if as a board member you can't speak to the work that your organisation does, how do you get the message out there? And that's probably one of the key things. Royal Women's, it's a well-known brand, Arts Law Centre of Australia. When I first joined this board, people would have said to me, I've never heard of it. So there would be a lot of people who haven't heard of the work that the organisation does. And as a director, one of your roles is to be an advocate and to help make those connections and help raise the profile of the work that the organisation does. The main thing we want to talk about today, you know, you are literally the author of the book around influence. And as I mentioned earlier, it's one of the things that in all of my board programs, when we are choosing topics and when people want to talk about those things that are challenging for them as board directors, influence comes up constantly. How should we effectively influence within the boardroom? How can we effectively influence and advocate, as you've mentioned, outside the boardroom? What are some of your tips and tricks that you can share with our people about how to influence? So I always start from the perspective of understand your intent because often when people think influence, they think Machiavellian. They think this is all about power and I often have particularly women who say to me, oh, I don't like that whole power thing. I'm not good with politics and I go, well, think about your intent. If you can't influence, you can't get heard. If you can't get heard, you can't get your agenda across and your agenda, your intent is a good agenda. It's a good intent. You're you're influencing for good. You're not influencing for evil. And often when we think about how to influence, we think about the other person. I need to influence this other person. Actually, no, you need to influence yourself. It starts with you. Understand who you are, what you stand for, your mindset, your trigger points, how you react under pressure. Because when you're in a board environment, if you're not conscious of how you're reacting to the conversation and what's going on, you're then not aware of whether you're being triggered by conversations. And it's very easy, or the research shows this, to go into fight or flight. I'm in an environment, I feel out of my depth, or perhaps someone said something that I'm reacting to, I'm in fight or flight. And if I'm in fight or flight, What happens is the thinking part of the brain slows down. The thinking part of the brain doesn't process the way it normally processes. So I always say to people that I'm working with, 
start with you. Understand your trigger points, understand how you manage your energy, understand how you manage how you're feeling in any given moment and notice that because that awareness piece is really important. As soon as you're aware, hmm, something's not feeling quite okay, then you can go, okay, so how do I then deal with this? And that's where meditation, mindfulness, breathing techniques and practices all make a difference because what you want to be able to do is slow yourself down so you're conscious of how you're reacting to what's going on around you so you can then deliberately respond. And that deliberate response piece is then understanding the people around the table, understanding their agendas, understanding how you relate and interact with them. Because sometimes influence isn't when you're in the room, influence is happening when you're outside the room. And all of the effort that you put into building relationships and that connection and the camaraderie plays a role when you're in the room. I always take people through a process around Understand yourself, understand the context and environment in which you're working, and then understand the other people that are in the room as well. In your roles, and in particular in your board roles, for example, you've talked about building relationships. What are some of the things that you've done to build your relationships with your co-directors? I always go think long-term, not short-term. And it is a slow burn. And I think that's the key thing as a director, because you're coming into an environment and there's that desire. I need to have impact. I need to have impact quickly. But I also think there's real value, particularly in the first couple of board meetings, sitting back a bit, watching what's going on, watching the dynamics, listening, learning, watching how things play out, really understanding the context and then meeting outside that board meeting, meeting with each of those directors individually so that you're building one-on-one relationships with them. And I've found that as I've built those one-on-one relationships, that's given strength to my preparedness in the boardroom to speak up at the right time. And particularly also in not-for-profit boards, you know, not that turnover is higher, but you do have this sort of natural turnover of board directors. You know, and I certainly know now with arts law, I'm now in that position where apart from a couple of other people around the table, I'm the person with the longest history. Mm. And when you have the longest history, people naturally then start to look to you as the wise one in the room and you kind of go, oh, this is interesting. I've, you know, you watch how the dynamics start to shift because you've been there for longer and so you've got longer organisational memory as to what's happened and what hasn't happened. And the other key thing for me is recognising that everyone who is in the room brings something to the table and really understanding what is it that that director is bringing to the table, how does it differ from what I'm bringing and how do I learn from them because I think being on a board, even if you're still in a corporate role or in a government position, if you can get yourself on a not-for-profit or some type of advisory board, wow, it's a great learning environment. And so I know for me, I've always been of the view I never wanted to do the as a future career, the whole non-executive director, get on ASX listed boards. I had made that decision years ago, but I love still being on a not-for-profit board from the learning, but also from the giving back. You mentioned that earlier about your first board, that you felt like you were making a contribution and you were also learning things. What are some of those key things? I think you learn about yourself and you're learning about how a board works from a reality perspective. So it's very easy to read governance principles and governance structures and governance frameworks. And then when you're in a board, you realise that there's a 
dynamic to it that is quite different to what you're reading on paper. And also realising that governance does need to be fit for purpose. So having been in a corporate environment where I've understood large governance frameworks, you can't apply that to a not-for-profit because they would drown in the paperwork. And so really understanding what do they need, what's going to help them, what's going to make sure that we're making good decisions and that we're discharging our duty of care. How much, how little, and where's that balance point? And I certainly know that in doing what I'm doing now, I rely on my learnings from when I was working in corporate, but also my learnings from when I did the company director course. And I often say to my coaching clients, the company director's course, even if you're not thinking about being a company director, is probably one of the best courses I've ever done for just understanding how organizations fit together, how they work and how they should work, mm. how perhaps they don't work. So as a just a general piece of training, brilliant thing to do. Absolutely. I'm all about getting people on boards, but that experience of being on a board, when you report to a board, if you're on another board, it's an amazing insight that you can get around your own day job of reporting to a board when you've been on the other side of the table. Absolutely. And you get to see what a good director looks like and what a not good director looks like. And if I go back to my days when I was working in financial services and I was in a role where I used to go to board meetings and it would be particularly interesting to watch certain directors because you knew the ones that were really good. They had read everything. They knew what they needed to focus on. They'd done their homework. They came prepared. And you would sometimes see occasions where the directors were more prepared than the executives because the executive would think, oh, this is an easy topic. I'll wing my way through it. But the director would have very clearly done their homework and the executive hadn't. Mm -hmm. And that was always fascinating to watch. (laughs) There would certainly be a lesson there for those who are reporting to a board when you've been in that sort of boardroom to never be underprepared again. And not take the situation for granted. And I remember there was one board director in particular and there's a few executives, oh, this person's really annoying. They ask too many questions. And I used to think, but they're just doing their job and they're doing their job well. And I think that's the reminder. There's a lot of cachet, a lot of kudos associated with being on a board. And I always say to people, it's a big responsibility, huge, huge financial implications if you're like on listed boards and mm. things go wrong. You're not just there for fun. It's a job. And so even when you're on a not-for-profit board, and I don't get paid any money for being on my not-for-profit board, and it can take actually quite a bit of time because I'm on a subcommittee and there's work that needs to get done. And you can't just be on the board and cruise. You have to be focused and go, this matters. So the work I do matters just as much as other work that I'm doing that I get paid for. Because there's nothing worse than being on a board and you watch a fellow director who doesn't pull their weight. Again, advice for people listening, be prepared. Well, and it comes back into that influence piece because your reputation is always being shaped. And so when I've sat on boards with people who don't do their job well, I look at them and then go, one, I'd never recommend them for another board. And two, I would never want to work with them because they haven't taken their job seriously. And that's the key thing with when you're thinking about how you influence, everything you do every single day matters. And I often think people go, 
I'm going to work out who I influence and I therefore I'm going to work out who I think matters. And I go, well, actually everybody matters because you also don't understand or know relationships and connections. And so if I go back to my first ever board role, and I still remember this quite clearly because I'd been put up for the board by this organization that did the matching. I'd been through the interview and I'd been interviewed by the company secretary and by the chair. And then at the end of the meeting, they said, we need to do reference checks for you. Um, And I said, that's fine. And then I'm waiting outside the meeting to go back to my office and the chair comes past and he said, oh, where are you going? Unless I'm going back into town. He said, would you like a lift? Lovely. By the time we got back into town, because he knew people that I knew, he said to me, we don't need to worry about those reference checks. It's good. You'll be fine. And so it was a real reminder for me, networks matter. Mm. And it was that whole thing. I still remember I got back to my desk and I rang my husband. I said, oh my God, I got it. And he said, why? And I said, because I knew the right names. (laughs) And it was literally that. And even, you know, getting onto arts law, it was a connection. There was an arts law director who was coming off. He was moving into a senior government role. He could no longer be on the board. They wanted a board director who was based in Melbourne And he was asked to recommend someone. He recommended me. I had the meeting. My skill set matched the skill set they were looking to to close. So I wouldn't have been recommended if I didn't have a good reputation. So that's why that influence piece, it's very pervasive. And you can see people who the influence doesn't feel genuine. It's I'm going to influence or build a relationship to get something. And I go, it just doesn't work like that. It's got to be something that you constantly focus on. So for that first role, the one where you got the ride and compared connections, not quite that blatantly, but compared connections and before you know it, you're in the role, building your networks is key and then being able to use them effectively. What are some ways that you've used to build your networks effectively and to do that in a really genuine way? It does require time and effort. And I think one of the things that I often find, and once again, I think this is a female thing, often females will say to me, I don't have time. And they don't see networking as part of their job. And I often say, change the word. This isn't about networks, it's about building relationships and building connections. And so you need to find people that you genuinely connect with. It's very hard to build a relationship with someone you don't like. So find relationships that have depth, and have meaning and go broad because the broader your network, the greater you are able to see what's even available. One thing I am naturally good at is maintaining long-term relationships. So the person who connected me to the arts law board, that is someone who I used to work with. My first job in financial services, he hired me and that was almost 20 years ago. Now, I haven't worked with him for probably 18 years and I still have a relationship with him. So there are people through my life who I've maintained relationships and connections with and it's, you know, he now lives back in Brisbane and so you catch up with him when you're in Brisbane. You, you know, do things that have a personal touch. I remember people's birthdays and, but it's because they matter to me. And so, you know, you can't keep in contact with everybody, but I do think LinkedIn plays a role in this. And LinkedIn is a great way of knowing where people go, of being able to congratulate them when they've moved to a new role, seeing something that they've published and you've got a genuine interest in it. You know, there's the light touch, but then there's the times where it's also the heavy touch in terms of, you know, you're making time to catch up with them. I think the thing that's the most challenging at the moment with the whole relationship and connection piece 
is particularly through things like, you know, all the social media platforms, there's this sense of, well, I've kept in contact with you electronically, so therefore I still have a relationship with you. And like, yeah, that plays a role. But where's the the interest in what that person is doing? Where's the offer of support, the offer of help? Where's the, oh, I've seen that this has happened and you might be interested in this. So I will often find articles that I think people are interested in and I will then randomly send them to people because that's part of my keep in touch strategy. And I may not have the time to catch up with everyone who wants to see me for coffee, but I'll make time for phone calls. And I know a lot of people who do this really well. They will use their downtime in between meetings, walking between meetings to just ring people and have a quick chat. And I don't think we do enough of that, the one-on-one piece. Of actually picking up the phone and having a conversation. Agreed. It doesn't happen so much anymore. I think that sharing of things that you know people are interested in is part of the genuineness that you mentioned before as well. Yeah. Um, And that means you need to understand people and understand where they've gone. I mean, I find it really interesting the number of people who you have nothing to do with for years and years, and then they pop up because something in their life circumstances have changed and all of a sudden they need something from you. And I think, yeah, I really want to help you. But on the list of priorities, I've heard nothing from you in 20 years and now you're wanting something and this is about you, not about me. It doesn't feel like there's a genuineness. And that's the thing with mm-hmm. relationships. You know, people talk about the bank balance and it is. You put in something, eventually, you know, you do get things in return. And it's not that transactional, but you do need to be careful that if you're not spending the energy to nurture a network, when you want help from your network, you'll find people will help you to a certain degree, but they may not help you as much as they would have if you had put some energy into that network earlier. The investment in and the investment out. Exactly. It builds. So I'm wondering if this was a board meeting and you were writing the minutes of the meeting and you had to just draw out the key things for people to remember, what are the key points you want people to take away today? Spend time on you. Know who you are. Know what you stand for because that's really important to then make sure there's alignment with the type of board that you want to go and work with. Because if the alignment is out, it's very hard to influence about something that you're not passionate about. Understand the organisational context in which that board is operating that you're then moving yourself into because there will be organisational dynamics that you need to understand. If you don't understand that, it's hard to influence. Understand the people around the table. Who are they? What do they stand for? What makes them tick? Build the relationship one-on-one. Because that one-on-one then becomes that sort of coalesces into what that group is like and how it functions. And also be prepared to take your time. Don't expect to walk in on board meeting number one and be omnipotent, the person of influence around everybody around the table. It's okay to take your time. Do it deliberately and slowly so that you're having the right impact at the right time. Again, if this were a board meeting and we were writing the action sheet for it, around those three things, understanding yourself, understanding the context, understanding others, what might be, you know, a couple of small practical steps that we can put on the action sheet for people to do? One of the things, and I often say to people, this can sound like OTT, but it can literally change your life, is building in a meditation practice. Because there's a lot going on in a board meeting. There's a lot of activity, there's a lot of different players, and it's very easy to let things not get away from you, but to miss what's going on. You need to be present. To be present, you need to be mindful. To be mindful, you need to be able to slow yourself down. 
and to slow your mind down, that's the practice of meditation. And so the more present you are, the more presence you will have. So if you do nothing else but build meditation into a practice for you, that will help you influence. I can't recall who it is, but I was talking to somebody recently and they start their board meetings with a meditation, Mm. just a short 60-second meditation to get everybody present, which I hadn't heard of before, but it's a lovely way of building in that presence in the room. And it builds connection. And finally, although I've got at least one tip on this, it's always great to share a resource. So a resource, it might be a book or a TED Talk. Now, one of them is obviously your book, and I will definitely share a link to that in the show notes. But is there a resource you'd like to share around influence, uh, whether it's a TED Talk or a book or an article? Oh, that's so hard. There's so many. Look, apart from my book, the other book that I would suggest that I think is a really useful book at helping you make that alignment piece is Bill George's True North. And it's a great book because it helps you look at and understand who you are, what you stand for, and the alignment of your values between your value set and the value set of the organization that you're working with. I'm a massive reader. And so often people will say to me, I don't know how you manage to get through so many books, but I read a book a week and that's a discipline for me. Whoa, Uh, that is amazing, Michelle. And the other thing, if you find it hard to read books, use it an app like Blinkist. The whole kind of concept behind Blinkist is that you can read a book in in a blink. And so in about 10 minutes, you can read the key points in a book. And you may then work out, I don't need to read the rest of the book because I've got most of the ideas that I need. But one of your critical success factors as a director is knowledge. So you need to read widely Mm. because it's not just about understanding HR practices and risk practices. Look at technology and technology trends. So you should have a constant stream of information that is coming into you that you can use. And so I have deliberately, I have multiple email addresses and I have one email address that is just for research and information. And everything goes into that because I then doesn't clog up my day-to-day email And I can then, when I choose, go into that to pull the research that I need. Mm, That is an excellent practical tip as well. And just because you're a read a book a week person, what are you reading right now? I am reading Melinda Gates' book, which has just been released, which is all about empowering women. And it was fantastic. And then the book that I finished reading sort of a week or so ago, which was at the moment for me, my book of the year, is Educated by... Tara Westover. It's a non-fiction book. It's a woman who grows up in a fundamentalist uh, Mormon household in America. And it is fascinating, really powerful. Oh, Oh, well, I'll make sure we put links to all of those books in the show notes if people want to share them as well. Thank you so much for giving your time to us today. There are so many incredible broader tips around influence, but also some incredibly practical tips as well, like having the separate email inbox. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. I know that the Take On Board community will find a huge amount in there that will help them out in their own governance journey as well. So thanks, Michelle. Oh, my pleasure. It's been fun. Thank you so much for having me. Hi there. It's Helia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, 
we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group, where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation. Thank you.